There is a concept in art known as appropriation. It's when an artist takes objects from the real world and then arranges them on a canvas to create a new thought. Here's a good example of art appropriation. It was done by Pablo Picasso in 1913. It's titled Glass, Guitar, and Newspaper. See what he's doing? He's pulling together already existing images and repositioning them in order to create a new point of view. We don't usually think of the Apostle Peter as an artistic appropriationist. But that is what he does here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. He takes three Old Testament passages, two from Isaiah and one from Psalms, and he positions them side by side to create a new context and thus new thoughts. Peter quotes Isaiah 28, verse 16, Psalm 118, verse 22, and then Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. He rearranges them, he applies them to Jesus, and he creates a new stream of thought concerning the Messiah. Not bad for a simple fisherman. It's amazing what a person can do under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We've been studying portraits of Jesus in the prophecy of Isaiah, and we're finding the book of Isaiah to be full of such snapshots. Each week, we've been filling in our picture frames with masterpieces. Jesus is the root of Jesse. He is a sign for Ahaz. He is the Messiah. He is Emmanuel. He is the first and the last. He is a great light. And he is a splint and a flint. And this morning, we're going to see Jesus as the apostle Peter saw him through Isaiah's eyes as a sure foundation. Remember, the prophet wrote 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But he saw Jesus more clearly than many of our Lord's contemporaries. The insights that God gave Isaiah concerning Jesus amaze us. And they give us a better understanding of this man that we have pledged to follow. This morning, I want us to read the three Old Testament passages that Peter quotes in their original context and then how he appropriates them into his portrait of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to put the Old Testament verses up on the big screen for you, and then we'll read 1 Peter chapter 2 from our Bibles. First, Isaiah 28, verse 16. It reads, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a trod stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, whoever believes will not act hastily. And then Psalm 118, we'll read verses 22 and 23. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And third, he adds a line from Isaiah chapter 8, and we'll read verses 13 to 15. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. 
Now let's read how this all comes together here in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture. And first he quotes Isaiah 28, verse 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient. And now he inserts two more prophetic verses. One, Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a second, Isaiah 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And then he says to those who refuse to believe, they stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Now the first thing you can't help but to notice from Peter's portrait and from the verses in Isaiah that support him, is that Jesus is a stone, and you and I are little stones. He uses these parallels in the context of construction. You see, God is building a spiritual house. Call it a temple. And these stones are God's building materials. Peter was a first century fisherman. And of course, he wasn't familiar with modern construction. He knew nothing of two-by-fours and metal studs and steel beams and drywall and split-face block. When Peter built, it was by assembling ordinary stones. Thus, in the spiritual house that Peter describes, God is erecting stones. He's putting together various stones. And thus, he refers to Jesus as the cornerstone, and he refers to us as living stones. Now, it's funny, but if you're from my generation, when you hear the expression, the stones you probably think of a famous rock and roll band, the Rolling Stones. You see, the Rolling Stones, they've been touring the globe now for over half a century. But if you haven't noticed lately, these guys are looking pretty old. <laughs> Did you know that this year Mick Jagger turned 72? Time is no longer on his side. In fact, this kind of got me thinking, maybe the Stones need to rewrite some of their songs in order to make their music more relevant to their aging band members. Here are the top ten suggestions for the senior Rolling Stones. Number ten, I can't get no satisfaction could become, I can't get no circulation. <laughs> Number nine, let's spend the night together. That could be, let's take a nap together. Number eight, it's only rock and roll, but I like it. That would be, it's only Geritol, but I like it. Number seven, I want to be your man. You could change that to, I want your health care plan. Number six, like a rolling stone, that could be like a kidney stone. Number five, give me shelter. You could change that to give me a tax shelter. Number four, brown sugar. How about brown splenda? Jumping Jack Flash, that would be hip replacement Jack Flash. Hot Stuff, 
<laughs> that would be better. Hot flash. And then number one, you can't always get what you want. I can hear it now. You can't always chew what you want. Excuse my diversion. For the stones that I want to talk about today are the living stones, not the rolling stones. The living stones are also a rock and roll band. We are a band of people that have been founding on the rock. And when you live for Jesus, you're always on a roll. We're called to Jesus, and we're called together to make beautiful music to God. Peter calls us a temple of praise. The Rolling Stones can't get no satisfaction, but there is nothing more satisfying than being a living stone. Now, pulling from Isaiah 28 and 8, and then Psalm 118, Peter makes three observations about Jesus that I want to focus on this morning. He is a living stone... He is a cornerstone, and he is a stumbling stone. Here are three portraits appropriated into one. Peter begins these thoughts in verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone. Now, throughout the Bible, the Messiah is referenced as a rock, as a cliff, even as a mountain. Jesus is like a huge boulder, a huge cliff. He's strong, he's sturdy, he's steady, he's unbreakable. Our Lord is the bedrock of the truth. You see, like a rock, he is a refuge from the storm. Like a rock, he is a fortress that can withstand the enemy. Like a rock, he is a missile sent from heaven's sling to shatter the kingdoms of this world. You could say, Jesus is stone mountain tough. He's deep. And he's wide, and he's large, and he's granite-like. Jesus rises and hovers over the horizon as a great hope for our future, but he's also a durable foundation on which we can build our lives today. It reminds me of the vacation that Jesus and his disciples, they took at a crucial time in his ministry. They journeyed north toward Lebanon and to the base of Mount Hermon, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was here that Peter uttered his great confession. When Jesus asked his men, Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? It was Peter who answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus promised him, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now here's where you had to have been there. Peter, or Petros, is the masculine form of the noun. And it referred to a little rock, a pebble, something small. In fact, there is a brook at Caesarea Philippi. Perhaps Jesus reached down into that brook and he pulled out a few pebbles. He held them in his hand and he says, this is Peter, a little pebble. But then he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he drew a contrast for right over Jesus' shoulder at Caesarea Philippi, there is a huge, massive rock face. Thus Jesus says, upon this Petra, the feminine form, I will build my church. Petra is the feminine form of the noun. It refers to a cliff or to a rock wall. The rock that Jesus spoke of was himself. He was saying, in contrast to Peter, a little pebble, Jesus is a great mountain. You and I are little stones, but Jesus is the rock on which we must build. 
Like I say, you had to have been there. But Peter had been there, and he never forgot this analogy. Jesus is the strong foundation on which his church sits. Here Peter encourages us to come to him as to a stone. Jesus is sturdy like a stone. And yet it's hard to warm up or cuddle up to a rock, isn't it? This is why Peter calls him a living stone. Yes, he's tough, but he's also tender. Yes, he looms large, but he loves deeply. You could say Jesus is a warm-blooded rock. Hey, if you're with Jesus, you're never between a rock and a hard place, for Jesus is a soft spot in this cold, hard world. In fact, it's only by coming to him that we find rest. And then notice what else Isaiah 28 says of Jesus. Peter quotes it in verse 6. He is elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Did you know that Jesus was elected? (laughs) Not by us. I mean, this is the problem with politicians today. I mean, they have to run for re-election to maintain their office. This means they tell their electorate what they want to hear to get re-elected, and then they go back to Washington and they do as they like. But Jesus was elected not by a human constituency. He was elected by God Almighty in a landslide vote, by the way. And thus, Jesus' only responsibility is to please the Father, to do His will. And the Father loves honesty, integrity, thus Jesus does as He says. He always keeps His promises. Jesus can be trusted. He's not a moving target. There's nothing fickle about our Lord's decisions and directions. He's solid. He is a rock on which we can lean. And He's precious. In the world of gemstones, there are two classical categories. There are precious And then there are semi-precious jewels. Precious stones are the diamond and the ruby and the sapphire and the emerald. Traditionally speaking, these are the rarest and the best quality and the most expensive stones. All other minerals are called semi-precious. Well, among men, Jesus is precious of the precious. He is the rarest. No one else is like him. Born of a virgin, he has divine origins. He is the only son of God. He is also the best quality human to ever walk this planet. Jesus was sinless, even in the heat of battle. And he is most valuable. Nothing is as important to the father as his son. And thus it spoke volumes of his love for us when God sacrificed Jesus in our place. Jesus is a living stone, elect, precious And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. I mean, what kind of person do you think he is? Trust in Jesus and he'll run to your aid. Rather than put us to shame, Jesus helps us save face. He offers us forgiveness and peace and a pardon. He provides us a way out. Trust Jesus and he'll never leave you high and dry. Or up a creek without a paddle. Or even out on a limb. Jesus is a living stone. But notice in verse 5, Peter takes it a step further. For you also, he says, are living stones. You could say that we Christians, we're chips off the old block. We take after Jesus. Jesus is the living stone, but we are also little stones. We're alive with the life of Christ in us. He breathes and loves and moves and cares through us. 
And His Holy Spirit makes us strong. In Christ, we are rock solid. And Peter says that all these living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. Another name for a spiritual house is a temple. Did you know that God is into building temples? But He builds different types. In the Old Testament, a stone structure stood on top of Mount Moriah there in Jerusalem. But in the New Testament, the spiritual house is made up of living stones. You and I are being joined together as a house for God. You see, the church is not a literal building. It's not brick and mortar. It's a people group. We are the building materials. We are the stones that God assembles on site. God is fitting us all together. See, here's how it works. The transforming power of Jesus, it sobers us up. You know, some of you have gone from being stoned to now being stones. Faith in Jesus makes us spiritually alive. You know, the Jewish temple had limestone walls, but Jesus is building a spiritual temple with live stone walls. Each of us has a place in his church. This is why I say, don't be off the wall. Find your place on the wall. Here's your opportunity to join the band. In Christ, you're a living stone. And you have a role in this spiritual house that God is currently constructing. You know, it's interesting. In the Old Testament temple that was built by Solomon, the Bible tells us that the stones were quarried off-site in an area just north of the city's walls. In fact, today you can drive by this spot and you can see the remains of the ancient quarry. The stones were cut and chiseled and fitted at the quarry so they could easily be assembled on site. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7 tells us why. It says, The temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. God didn't want the temple to be a noisy place. The temple was not your typical construction site. It was a place of peace and rest. You went to the temple to worship God and to rest from your work. God didn't want its halls filled with noise and banging and sawing. So he had the stone sized and chiseled and fitted together at the quarry. Once the stones were custom fitted, then they were delivered to the temple mount and they were assembled according to plan. You see, you and I are like those ancient stones. And the work that God does, making us fit and then fitting us together, is what God is doing in the world today. But here's what we need to remember. The world that we live in is the quarry. Heaven is the temple. And the temple is the place of peace and rest and worship. God doesn't want construction noises heard in heaven. You'll never hear any banging and drilling and sawing when you get to heaven. That's what God does in this life. So, when you get banged around a bit, and you get drilled on, and you get chiseled away and chopped at and whittled down to size, realize that's what's supposed to be happening in this life. Hey, we are living in the quarry. This life is a construction zone. Don't be surprised when your rough edges get sanded down. That's what God wants to do. That your ends get leveled off. That your jagged exterior gets broken away and polished up. Oh, it's loud and dusty and noisy and chaotic in the quarry. 
But that's where the important work gets done. And this is where our cooperation becomes necessary. For the difference between living stones and limestone is that living stones have a mind of their own. They can jump up and run off when they think the cutting gets too severe. They can try to escape when the chiseling gets uncomfortable. You see, we can thwart the work that God wants to do by trying to escape the axe or dodge the drill or avoid the hammer. I mean, who wants to get nailed by the Holy Spirit? Well, I hope we all do. This is often what happens when a person changes jobs or when they leave a church or when they try to avoid a friend. God is creating an uncomfortable situation. Why? They're being quarried. They're being worked on. And rather than submit to it, they want to escape. Rather than let God have His work, they want to avoid it. God is carving and shaping and piecing us together. But we have to cooperate. Don't bolt. Don't run. Don't try to escape. Always remember, heaven doesn't start until we get to heaven. You need to remember that. Everybody's looking for a piece of heaven here on earth. It doesn't exist. Heaven doesn't start until we get to heaven. For now, God is working on us in the quarry. He is building a temple of praise by fitting us all together. And it's only when he's done that he'll ship us off to heaven and we'll be the temple that he'll occupy for all eternity. Well, Jesus is a living stone, but he is also a cornerstone. And this comes straight out of the prophecy of Isaiah. Chapter 28, verse 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Visit the countrysides of England and Europe and you'll find all these old stone churches. Christians have met in these churches for a thousand years. When you build a rock church, you intend for it to last a long, long time. And the critical stone in these churches is the cornerstone. It becomes the linchpin, the keystone. Pull it out and the whole structure topples like a house of cards. The cornerstone is the one stone on which all the other stones lean and rest. It becomes the heart and hub of the entire house. And this is true of Jesus. He is our chief cornerstone. You see, a true believer will build his or her life with Jesus as their hub. Everything in their life will lean and rest on Jesus. Everything will go back to Jesus. Lots of people like the idea of looking religious. They'll tip their hat to Christianity from time to time. They'll make Jesus a brick in what they're building. They'll fit him snugly into one of the walls, but not much really depends on him. In fact, they can ignore him for days when it's convenient to do so. They can even pull him out of his slot for a time, and nothing much will change in their life. I mean, nothing really rests on Jesus' involvement in the first place. But you see, Jesus is more than a brick. He is the cornerstone. Everything in my life needs to revolve around Jesus and lean on Jesus. How I do my work. How I manage my finances. How I express my sexuality and make friends and form decisions. How one dates and marries and parents and vacations and hangs out. Everything in my life needs to be influenced by Jesus. Everything is intertwined with Him. 
He is a sure foundation, but only to those who dig deep and build every perspective and approach to life on Him. A few years ago, Yahoo Travel published a list of America's most overrated tourist attractions. Most overrated tourist attractions. Number one on the list was Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. Coming in second was the Petrified Forest in Arizona. Third was Wall Street in New York City. And fourth on the list of most overrated tourist stops was Plymouth Rock. I've been to three of the four. And trust me, Plymouth Rock is hands down the lamest tourist destination in all of America. It's just a pebble. It's not even a rock. I mean, Plymouth Rock is an attraction. It does a rock. Several years ago, I taught at a Calvary Chapel men's retreat in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Ignoring the advice of my host, I decided between sessions to hike a couple of blocks down to see this memorial. I'm thinking, well, I'm here. You know, I might as well see this thing. But everyone was right. It was a laugher. Plymouth Rock is a gray, oblong, dirty little stone about three feet by two feet. They built a Greek arch over the site, but the stone itself just kind of sits there in the water. The date 1620 is etched on its side, but that's it. In fact, puny Plymouth Rock has a gate around it to keep people from trying to steal it. In my mind, I expected to see Miles Standish, musket in hand, standing up on this jagged cliff, jutting out over the ocean. All I saw was a lame little rock on the beach. Whereas Jesus, he is no Plymouth Rock. Jesus is a mammoth rock. Both Isaiah and Peter call him the chief cornerstone. Man, rather than a pebble, he's El Capitan. If he's your cornerstone, you can rest on him. You can trust in him. If he's not your cornerstone, then you don't understand Jesus. And you're certainly not enjoying the stability that he brings. Perhaps this is why your finances are coming unraveled. Maybe this is why your marriage is falling apart or your job is now in jeopardy or you're tanking on your parenting. Maybe it's because you've not made Jesus your cornerstone. Remember, he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. As I mentioned before, life is a test, but you only pass if you trust in Jesus. Jesus is a big rock. That's why we should have a strong faith. Dare to rest everything on Jesus. Build a life that's dependent on Him. Where if He doesn't come through, you're sunk. That's where faith begins. Expect the miraculous from a miracle-working Savior. Believe you won't be put to shame. I read of a man who took a safe driving class once. And he recounted one of the questions that was asked to him by the teacher. He said, if you've stopped at a traffic light and you see that the car behind you is careening forward with no intention of putting on its brakes, what should you do? Well, the man said that everyone in the class said that you should let off your brakes so that when the car hits you, you'll go forward sort of absorbing some of the blow. Sorry, wrong answer. The correct answer is to apply your brakes as tightly as possible and brace yourself for the collision. 
If your car is rigid and stabilized, in essence, when you're relying on its foundation, that's when you're the strongest. But when you're just out there sort of rolling with the punches, just going with the flow, you get the whiplash effect. And it causes greater damage to both the car and its passengers. In other words, it's best to have a strong and sure foundation. And this is what Jesus brings to a life. A foundation doesn't protect us from the storm. In fact, it has nothing to do with whether a storm strikes us or not. But a sure foundation is the best protection against the storm. In that storm, it is the foundation that assures our survival. You see, Jesus is a living stone. He is also a cornerstone, a chief cornerstone. But he is too a stumbling stone. And this is what Peter points out when he quotes Isaiah 8, verse 14. Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. To believers, Jesus is our cornerstone. But to those who reject him, he is a stone over which they will stumble. Realize, many a big toe has been stumped on Jesus. I guess you could say Jesus is a tripping hazard for some people. People who want to know God, but refuse to let go of their pride. People who want to know God, but refuse to let Him govern their lives. People who want to know God, but believe their lifestyle is their own choice. People who want to know God, but don't think they've done anything terribly wrong lately. All these people are going to stumble over Jesus. For he tells us to turn from our pride and to surrender to his will and to walk in his ways, not our ways, and to admit that we are sinners. Peter quotes Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. There was a legend associated with Solomon's temple. During its construction, the cornerstone was quarried first. But when it arrived at the construction site, the builders, they didn't recognize its strategic importance. It was different from the other stones. The builders thought it was a mere oddity, and they tossed it aside. That is, until the cornerstone was needed. And that's when the builders remembered, they realized their tragic mistake, and they remembered the stone. They went to retrieve this precious stone that they had formerly rejected. And this is how the builders of Judaism treated Jesus. They didn't realize that he was the chief cornerstone of all that God intended to build. Jesus was so different from the Jews and from what they had come to expect. They rejected God's cornerstone and tossed him out of their temple. But what the Jews spurned, it was still precious and valuable to God. And thus Jesus was offered to others, to the Gentiles, to you and to me, to those who humbly receive him. He becomes the chief cornerstone of their lives. And one day, still future, the builders of Judaism will realize their mistake. The Bible teaches us that in the last days, the Jews will come to Jesus, repent of their mistake, and embrace the Savior that they once rejected. But you see, here's Peter's point. Those that reject Jesus, they, they can't know God. They can't come to know God if they reject Jesus. You stumble over Jesus in trying to get to God. You know, almost everybody likes God. Did you notice that? Ask your next door neighbor. 
Oh, he loves God. I got a, I got, I love a big man upstairs. You know, everybody's got a relationship with God. But what does that person believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? For you see, Jesus is the rub. He is the stumbling stone. Jesus is the rock in your shoe that you always know is there. Jesus is the grit in your swimsuit. You ever got a little grit in your swimsuit? Doesn't, doesn't make you feel good. You're always a little uncomfortable with grit in a swimsuit. But this is Jesus in our lives. When you're at odds with Jesus, he causes you some discomfort. You can't get, you can't get cozy. You can't, you can't feel you know, comfortable. He prohibits you from enjoying your sin. Author Dorothy Sayers once wrote, I believe it to be a grave mistake to present Christianity as something charming and popular with no offense in it. I agree. You see, to the person who doesn't want to change or is not willing to submit or refuses to obey, Jesus will be an offense to that person. For Jesus expects all the above. Peter closes verse 8, speaking to those who reject Jesus. They stumble, being disappointed, or being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. We all have an appointment with Jesus. One day, every one of us is going to meet him face to face. If you've rejected him, you'll answer for it. See, here's what needs to be said to some of us this morning. Jesus is the rock who won't go away. Either let him be your cornerstone or he'll become your stumbling stone. Either bow to him this morning or he's going to break a few toes or worse. Jesus is too big. He is too vital to be avoided by you or to be ignored by you. And he loves you so much, he's going to keep pressing the issue. In Matthew 21, Jesus tells the story of the vineyard. Its owner leased it out to men who began to mismanage his vineyard. And so the owner sent servants to rebuke them. These evil men, they killed the owner's servants. And so he sent them more servants. But the managers were just so callous, they killed them too. Finally, the owner of the vineyard, he sent his son. He reasoned, surely they will respect my son. But the owner's son was also put to death. And that's when Jesus asked, so what will the owner of the vineyard do to these managers? And Jesus answered his own question. He basically said, he will destroy the evil men and he'll give the vineyard to folks who want to serve him. It was obvious the target of Jesus' parable that day were the religious leaders, the Jewish hierarchy who had been threatened by Jesus, who wanted to shut him up. Rather than welcome the Savior and his wisdom, these Jewish leaders were offended by Jesus' intrusion into their life. If it hadn't been for the crowds that day, Matthew tells us they would have killed Jesus then and there. But that's when Jesus said... And I'm quoting from Matthew 21, verse 42. Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus quotes the same passage that Peter quotes here. And then he adds, And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. 
Bow to Jesus. Throw yourself on His mercies and He will become the cornerstone of your life. But He'll be a stumbling stone if you reject Him that won't just stump your toe, but will grind you to powder. There's an interesting story that took place in 2008 during the construction of the new Yankee Stadium. One of the construction workers happened to be a Boston Red Sox fan. And I'm sure you know that the Yanks and the Sox, they're big rivals. This man, Gino Castagnoli, he wanted to jinx the Yankees. And so he buried a Red Sox jersey in the cement foundation of the new Yankee Stadium. And he would have gotten away with it if he hadn't had such a big mouth. He went back and started bragging about what he had done. Well, the Yankees found out about it, and they took his actions very seriously. They asked Castagnoli's co-workers where he had been working that day. They found the spot where they thought the jersey was hidden. And they spent the next five hours with jackhammers tearing up the foundation of their new stadium. They finally found the Red Sox jersey. It cost the Yankees $30,000 to tear up and then to re-pour the foundation. And I would imagine old Gino paid a good portion of it. But this is what some of us need to do. For like the Yankees, we need to tear up our foundation. For there are a few flaws in what you've built. There are some bad attitudes and some pride and some arrogance and some selfish habits and some sinful identities in what you've built. Jesus is not your chief cornerstone. You haven't been resting and building on Him. Everything in your life doesn't hinge on Jesus. He's not the center of your relationships. He doesn't govern how you do work. He doesn't influence your thoughts. You've kept him at arm's length from your marriage or from how you date. He's not welcoming your finances. It's really unthinkable, quite frankly, that we have relegated the Lord of glory to the outer fringes. That our all doesn't flow through and around Jesus. Hey, don't you want your life and your family and our church to be built on a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation? Is your life resting on that sure foundation this morning? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Let each one take heed how he builds, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is no sure, no safer, no stronger, no sturdier foundation for our lives than obedience and surrender to Jesus Christ. Don't be offended because of Jesus. Humble yourself. Let Him have His way in your life. And let Him be your chief cornerstone.